Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the right time. A Wave Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Subscribe, like, rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Uh, I understand it looks like I'm coming to you live from the improv. So hopefully I got jokes that'll work for you. I'm trying to think about that. Any other place where you just stand up in front of a brick wall, except for like some place where they're trying to shoot you. Anyway, it's that time of week where we have a guest join us, uh, coming to us live. He is the co-host of First Things First on Fox Sports 1. Check him out 3 o'clock Eastern on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Nick Wright, what's going on, man? What's up? How are you doing, Bo? You can also check out my pod. What's right with Nick Wright? Which while That's not right. as popular as Bomani's pod, I think it's pretty good. How are you? Thank no, you for no, having me on. I, no, always good to have you. And the pod's gotten really good. The show obviously has gotten really good. Shout out to Chris Broussard for not kicking your ass yet. I know he's thought about it. <laughs> well, uh, that's been the key to the show. Brew, my first partner. It only took seven years to find a partner that could work with me for more than a year without wanting to fight me. And so we're going strong. So I appreciate that, man. No, I appreciate you with the self-awareness. I saw you say that in an interview once. Like, no, the big reason why this works is that Chris Broussard can tolerate what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, listen, I am uh, I am incredibly grateful for my wife and my television partners because I am, you know, I kind of look at this as a compliment to myself. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I am an incredibly frustrating person to argue with. And it is, you know, the for good or for bad, I love to do it. I happen to think I'm great at it. And it can, what's the word? Drive people crazy. And so the fact that me, Brew, and Wilds have found a way to make it work is very gratifying. So thank you for that. I have to say, uh, a frustrating person to argue with is one of the better euphemisms for asshole I've ever heard. <laughs> Like, it's a good well, one. And look, look, I'm not even mad at you about it. I have had two co-hosts, and that was enough to let me know I was never going to have a third. <laughs> well, listen, you and I have batted around the idea for, gosh, at this point, the better part of almost 10 years of could you and I, you know, at some point work together in a more formal capacity. And, at you know, there, there were different reasons we couldn't in the past, but now I almost feel like, we're too good of friends. This is like the sports media version of the friendship so good we shouldn't date. Like we don't want to ruin <laughs> it. Like I the yes. I value your place in my family and my life too much to be like, well, it'd probably be good for about 18 months. Then Bo and I would never speak to each other again. So I don't know if that would be a good idea. Yeah, no, you know, you're on the right track. It's two things, right? Like, if you start a show with somebody before your friends, there's a good chance that a friendship can then develop. If you start a show after your friends, unless you're Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, ooh boy, you are chancing the fates. I remember when people would bring it up early, and there were two people who did not think it was a good idea. One of them was me, and the other one is the mother of your children. We were both like, yeah, nah, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. You nailed it. All right. You say this, and I never really thought about it, but it's something that isn't brought up enough, but I think you're correct about this. This is the best weekend of NFL football of the year. Like, I think conference championship weekend gives you the drama of both of those games, right? Like, the impact of having the two of them. But this is it. Division round. We got two games, back-to-back -back days. This is the one. This is my favorite sports weekend of the year. This is better than the, the Masters weekend. This is better than anything March Madness. 
This is better than any of the NBA playoff weekends. You have eight teams remaining. Typically, you get six of the best eight teams in the league throughout the year, and then a couple, hey, look at them teams, which is kind of exactly what we got this year, The at least in my opinion, that if you were to list the best eight teams at almost any point in the year, you would probably have to say Baltimore, Kansas City, Buffalo, well, Houston is maybe a surprise, but San Francisco and Detroit, and then the semi-surprise Houston, and then real surprise Green Bay and obviously uh, Tampa Bay, but they all have different stories. You're guaranteed, the problem with conference championship weekend is you're not guaranteed even one good game. With four games this weekend, this typically evenly matched, you're guaranteed at least one all-time game and legendary performance. And so I I love it. I also love, it's very interesting how it fell. In the AFC, you have three, you have, you know, the best quarterback I've ever seen in Mahomes, a guy who's about to be a two-time MVP in Lamar, a guy who is a four-time defending media MVP in Josh Allen, and a guy who looks like, oh, he's going to be an MVP in short order in C.J. Stroud. And then in the NFC, it's totally different. It's like Brock Purdy, Jordan Love, who had to sit for three years, and then two number one picks who were thrown away by their original teams. And so it's the dichotomy of it's interesting. I'm I'm so excited for this weekend. How much would you enjoy it if it so happened that Green Bay somehow found a way to win that game on the back of, dude, this Jordan Love thing, I admit, like I haven't been over to your house in a while where you got all the eight screens on, so I hadn't really watched that much Green Bay Packer football. I was watching Jordan Love in that game against the Cowboys like, ooh, (laughs) this young man is really good right now. So it's super it, it, how much would I enjoy it? I mean, I would enjoy it. I'd, I'd get the pick wrong because I think San Francisco is going to win. I don't think Green Bay's defense is going to be able to handle what Kyle Shanahan's been cooking up for him and those athletes. And I don't think – and listen, while I'm a Brock Purdy skeptic, I, I, I don't think he's going to instantly be terrified the way Dak Prescott was. That's, you know what I mean? I, I doubt if Brock Purdy can lead you from behind if it's the third quarter. I don't think it will be 7 nothing, and you're going to see Brock Purdy's eyes as big as saucers. Like, what am I going to do? But it would be an unbelievable story. And it is Jordan Love. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Since week 11, 21 touchdowns, one pick. But it's not just the numbers. It's the eye test stuff. And I know people get annoyed with some of us who talk eye test. But I, the, the way the ball comes out of his hands, his arm angles, the creativity of it, all of that, I'm like, oh, no, this guy's legit. Like, I don't know if he is, you know, MVP cap candidate next year legit, but at the very least, he is, oh, yeah, he's a legit franchise quarterback in the NFL, which is a wild in-season turnaround. Because midway through this year, it was like, oh, boy. The Packers are about to be out in the wilderness, and the answer is no, they're not. Like, we now have a floor for him that is established, and I think you were trying to almost bait me into saying this, but so I'll just go ahead and say it. Do I think that the one edge the Packers have is the better quarterback is on their team in the Packers-Niners matchup? I mean, obviously. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, the I better to, quarterbacks. I have to tell back. you. 
I was not at all thinking of baiting you of saying that, but I'm so glad you wanted to do it. You wanted to do it so much that you were like, oh, you're just going to make me do it, huh? Okay, fine. I'm like, no, not really. Fine, then. I got it out. I still got it out. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to de- deny that. I mean, I, I sent out this tweet, and, like, it's accurate. Like, you look at this weekend, and I kind of laid it out before, but you've got two first-year starters coming off Perfect playoff games in Stroud and Jordan Love. That's what they have. You have two former number one overall picks who showed different levels in their first stop, then looked like they were just done, and now having a nice comeback story. You have uh, the you know undisputed best quarterback alive going for a back-to-back. You have two unicorn MVP caliber quarterbacks in Lamar and Josh, one of whom's got a couple, another whom, even though I take shots at him, is going to get one at some point. But we've never quite seen quarterbacks like them. And that's seven of our eight quarterbacks. And then you have Brock Purdy. It's like, okay. I saw you. I mean, that's, I saw I mean, you that's, what it, that's <laughs> true. I mean, it's just true. Like, that's the dude's average, like The dude's average like 10 yards in attempt, and he just gets and Brock Purdy. Well, yeah, I mean, show, someone show me to his numbers throughout the year because they were pretty Ooh. damn good. And then, yeah, I, and I, listen, I'm not saying Brock Purdy's too. I think Brock Purdy's actually got a little more upside than Tua does. But, I mean, the, the, the eye test versus the EPA and all that stuff, we got a nice – because people, if you would have put Mahomes versus Tua on the season, on a screen, look at the numbers. How can you argue one guy was better? And the answer is because the games are televised. Because fortunately, we're not talking about the NBA in 1976. We could actually watch these fucking things, pardon me. And the games are televised. And so the eye test gods came for Tua. I don't think they're going to have an opportunity to get Brock this weekend, but we'll see. Now, Tua... I mean, look, man, once they said that that game was going to be 30 degrees below zero, I was like, well, we know who's going to win this one. Or more importantly, we know who's going to lose. There was no way in the world the Miami Dolphins had any shot at that. Tyreek Hill came out there with no sleeves on, trying to prove a point. I sh- brother, you look, you could have come out there wearing a park and it would have made no damn difference. Y'all had no chance of winning that game. That was never, ever going to happen. No chance. And that is... Forget the fact that two is undersized and forget the fact that, you know what I mean? He doesn't have the strongest arm. If you can't play in the cold, you can't play in the AFC. Might be able to get away with the NFC. There's a point that I've kind of been making over the last few weeks. You look at the NFC and who we think is going to be good over the next few years. Detroit Dome, Dallas Dome, San Francisco warm weather, the Los Angeles warm weather, uh, the Tampa. I don't know how good they're going to be, but warm weather. You only really have to worry about Detroit, I'm sorry, Philly and Green Bay. Philly and Green Bay, if they have home games, you're going to have to play in the cold. In the AFC, it's and the New exact York. opposite. But yeah, but I don't think New York's going to be good anytime soon. I'm talking Fair. about the teams Fair. that we think over the next gotcha. few years that are going to be good. Um, in the AFC, it's the exact opposite. Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Cleveland, all outdoors. Miami and Houston are the only, maybe Indianapolis, if you think they have a high upside with Anthony Richardson. So you better be built to be able to play in bad, cold uh, weather, maybe anywhere, but certainly if you're in the AFC. And so, yeah, I mean, could Tua be all right if he had the NFC path through the playoffs? Maybe, but in the AFC, it's just brutal. 
Now, the thing I've always said that the dorks misunderstand and everything, the old heads weren't all stupid, right? Why were why was everybody running the ball all the time back when they did? Number one, throwing a football is really a lot more difficult than we give it credit for being, right? Like you just go ask anybody anywhere to like throw a baseball, shoot a basketball or whatever. Okay, cool. There's a wilder variance on what you'll get if you ask somebody to try to throw a spiral football than there is on anything else. You're taking this thing that weighs however many pounds and you got to figure out the angle and everything else and make it spin through the elements and all of this. It's a lot easier to do in September. It's a lot easier to do inside yes. all of these things but I think about the Green Bay Packers for example when you were building your offense around Aaron Rodgers and for you best case scenario is we win all the games we possibly can and then we ask Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball in an icebox right like yep. like you go to you you still the the weather and the elements still matter and you got to be able to grind this out that's part part of why the Josh Allen thing can work in Buffalo is a he's got a big enough arm that he can make it happen when it's cold and two he's a big galoot and he could just yeah. decide that he's going to run and truck through people if it comes down to it. But I think the idea of the elements is undersold by the analytics movement of sorts just because the majority of the sample that they're dealing with is played under more favorable conditions. Well, and the idea of like being, building a team that understands – if the NBA, if it was like, hey, just so you know – one round of the playoffs, there's not going to be a three-point line. And we're not telling you which round it is, and you don't know when it's coming until a few days before. The way you not only build a team, but evaluate teams throughout the year would have baked in, okay, are they going to be able to survive that round whenever it comes? I don't look at the NFL. I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but I don't look at that as a total anathema analogy. Like, the... If you are to get to a Super Bowl at least once, maybe twice, going to have to play a totally different style or as you have in the case of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and just a handful of others, be able to play your style in any condition, you know, other than a windstorm, I guess, that is that has to be a big piece of how you evaluate who has the best chance. Like it was to me very telling and I know we want to talk Chiefs Bills, so this may be a good segue. That the Chiefs came out of that game in that game and were like, no, we're just gonna throw the ball because we know that our guy can do it. And the whole narrative going into the game was that Miami's going to have to lean on their running game because we know their guy can't do it. Yeah, we're gonna get to Chiefs Bills in a second, but right fast, I want to throw this out there for the people. Um the weather's really bad in Detroit, right? It's a very cold place. And so somebody decided to ask Ty Bowles about how his team would be able to handle the elements. Coach, uh, looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams. Uh, today, it's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures we tend to talk to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure, but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? They got a dome. I don't um, No, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors, and we only have to be outside for 20 seconds getting off the bus, going under the thing, so we'll be okay. I think the funniest part is that's the first time I've ever seen Todd Bowles' teeth. Like he's, he's he's a pretty stoic sort of character and he could not fight the you know they play inside right
I can't. I the uh, so I obviously knew that that clip existed. I've seen people tweeting about it. I what you, I don't have the ability to watch things like that. Like once I got the context of it well, on Twitter, I was like not watching it. Not so that's my first time actually seeing it because I get that secondhand embarrassment thing I that I struggle with. Um, and she just kept. It was a long question too. It was, you know what I mean? She just yes. kept going. You you almost wish that I, you almost wish he would have jumped in and been like, let me just stop. Let me help you out here real quick. He was, he was pretty nice about it. Uh, I, I shouldn't say famously, but famously in my own head, when I was covering the Chiefs, Matt Castle was the quarterback and he had played a terrible game and I went to, and it was raining. And I went to the post-game press conference. And I tr- I was trying to basically ask a question of, essentially, how much did the conditions impact your performance? But I think the words that came out of my mouth were, is it harder to throw the football when it's wet? And, <laughs> and so, like, I just, like, in the moment, I just didn't execute properly. And as I was going, I was like, what am I, what am I, what am I even, this is, sounds ridiculous, but the, I guess it would have been worse if the, if he then stood up there and been like, it didn't rain today, which is the equivalent <laughs> of what Todd Bowles had to do in that spot. I mean, I just saw, well, maybe even better is me watching that. I heard the clip, but I wasn't really paying attention to it. Like I heard the audio, but I wasn't watching the video of it. And so where I'm set up right now, I can't hear when they play the sound. So all I got was the video itself. And so I'm just sitting here the whole time waiting waiting on the moment with no real idea that the moment is coming. <laughs> and so I, the first time I see the smile and him fighting the laughs, I didn't like, – by the way, shout out to you, Todd Bowles, because nothing about his time coaching the Jets led me to believe that he had any business being anybody's head coach. And he has been at the very least net zero for the Bucks. Like, he's he's done the job. Well, he outcoached the Eagles coaching staff, I'll tell you that much. You know what I mean? Woo! Like the, I mean that was it was a ten eight round the whole time. Like it, I and it doesn't seem like, and I'm not gonna act like I'm one of the like film guys that I can tell you precisely everything he was doing. But from listening to the experts, it doesn't seem like what he was doing was super complex. Playing a lot of cover zero, throwing a lot of blitzes at Jalen, and the Eagles never adjusted. It seemed like my guess is. His idea was, we'll do this until they adjust, then we'll throw our adjustment out there, and they never adjusted. They just you threw Jalen Hurts to the wolves. And what he did was exactly what you expect Todd Bowles to do, because if it, Todd Bowles is going to do anything, they're going to bring it, right? Like, that is the Todd Bowles brand on defense is heat, we bring it. That was what he was going to do, it was that anybody walking in would have expected. But I'm looking at that team. And that team being the Eagles, I don't think I've had a chance to really, really get into this. I don't know where you stand on this, but I don't think it's nearly as crazy as people make it out to be the idea of firing Nick Sirianni. Like, maybe you think because they went to the Super Bowl last season that he doesn't deserve it, but something is so broken with them that it's hard not to blame the person in charge or whatever it was. So I think it would be crazy not to fire him. I don't think it'd be crazy to fire him. Like, I – the – Okay, so let's go through it. He start. It's not like when he got the job, it was one of those. He wasn't quite Ben Johnson. 
You know what I mean? Where it's like, man, there everybody. It's not like he came out of nowhere, but it wasn't, you know, a, a blue chip guy. Obviously, didn't have experience prior. First half dozen games, the team's not good. He gives up play calling to Shane Steichen. The team then turns around. The offense turns around. Jalen starts playing better. He then loses Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon after last year. They look like a totally different team. So he doesn't call plays. His one big button he pushed was to change defensive coordinators, which was the single biggest coaching whiff made in the NFL this year. It took a bad Eagles defense and made them literally the worst in the NFL. And you you then add to it the fact that I think he has some call it, I'll be kind, quirky personality traits that aren't really befitting an NFL head coach that certainly don't look good if your team is losing six of seven. And I, I asked this question. This is actually the question that uh, Greg Olson asked on the broadcast about Mike McCarthy. And I disagree with his evaluation of McCarthy, but I do agree with the thought process of it. Of If I fired this guy, would he instantly get another job? If the Eagles fired Nick Sirianni, no team in the league is making him their head coach. No team. And this idea that you have, because you made a Super Bowl, this is kind of your birthright to keep coaching the team. John Fox coached the Denver Broncos, was 46-18, and made the divisional round every year, made a Super Bowl, and and was fired because they're like, you know what? We're not good enough. We need to get to the next level. Bill Callahan was fired after making a Super Bowl. And the Eagles' history, and I've talked about this before, Andy Reid coached there 14 years, went to five NFC Championship games, had 10 playoff appearances, nine double-digit win seasons, went to a Super Bowl, had one really bad year, he's out. Chip Kelly went there. They went 10-6, and 10-6 and six in back-to-back years. He didn't make it through year three. Doug Peterson went there. Year two, they won the Super Bowl. Year three, they made the playoffs and won a playoff game with a backup quarterback. Year four, they made the playoffs. Year five, they were bad. He's out. This idea, Kevin Clark said it, and he's right. The Eagles have fired better coaches than Nick Sirianni. I tell you that much. And I also, even if you weren't leaning towards firing him, Bo, if you get word that Belichick would take that job, then you have to fire him because Belichick with those defensive linemen, you, he can coach up a secondary. I, that's a, That to me is something you've got to do. Here's my question about the Belichick part. So what do you tell Howie? Right? Like you've done this to Howie before where you brought Chip Kelly in, right? And they took everything away from Howie Roseman and then basically had to give it back on the other side. Like, my problem with the idea of anybody hiring Belichick is, is he really just trying to only be the head coach? I'm sure he says it because you say whatever you got to do to get into the door. But then what do you do after that? But I can't – can you think of a team that you watch collapse quite like this Eagles team has? Because they look like – the comparison I made to them was they look like the team that shouldn't go that, – that should skip the bowl game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yo, we just had enough. We're not going to the NIT. <laughs> so, I found one, and you're going to laugh. Because absent the quarterback going down with an injury, it's like, has this ever happened? And there's one. The 2008 New York Giants, 
who were the defending Super Bowl champions and started 11-1. and one. <laughs> but, but, but what they happened had, they, there? They had an inflection point. They had well, an inflection point. Their star player shot himself. <laughs> yes, so, like, yes. that's what it took in all of NFL history. The only time we've seen something like this involved a guy, and I, I really like and respect Plex, and I'm not trying to poke fun. That is what happened, though. Their star receiver shot himself, and the team went to hell. The, the Eagles were fine. And then awful, just like that. And so the, there, it is, that's why it is fireable. Is because here's the other thing. It is, it's shocking that it wasn't shocking. Meaning six weeks ago, if you were told the Eagles were going to lose in round one to Tampa Bay, and get blown out, You, no one would have believed it. But going into the game, everyone would have believed it. It got so bad so fast that what happened wasn't shocking, and, and Aikman and Buck, I thought, did a really good job of you know verbalizing how disgusted they were with what they were seeing. It, I've never seen a team take the field in an NFL playoff game apathetically. And they looked like in the first quarter, the way you see a four-win team in the final week of the year, just be like, let me just get out of here and get to the offseason. That's wild to me. And maybe it would be a little more justifiable if they were up against, oh my God, we fell all the way to here, and now we have to play this juggernaut. You were playing a team that to make the playoffs – won nine nothing against Carolina eight days ago. Like I, I'm happy for Baker and what the Bucks did. The the idea that they were, you know, not beatable, of course they were beatable. The Eagles were the favorites. And so that's fireable to me. It just is. And the best part of all of this is we are a step closer to the realistic possibility that my Detroit Lions can make it to a Super Bowl, or at the very least, host an NFC Championship game. Wrap it up for Nick and say anything. Prize Picks is the most fun you can have by winning up to 25 times your money this football season, and now you can play during basketball season two. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. And with the NBA back, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. And if you stick around for the end of the show, you'll get to hear some picks from our producer, Sean, that can either help you win or make you fail miserably. So make sure you go to prizepicks.com slash Bomani and use code Bomani for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash Bomani. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. 
Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. All right, Nick, we're going to talk about uh, Chiefs-Bills in a second, but I want to complain about something right fast. I did reach Eisen show yesterday, and they, you know, people are just generally skeptical of Mike McCarthy, and he asked me why he was. They were generally skeptical of him, and I explained as one of the reasons is our society is a little bit harder on our portly brothers than they are on the rest of the world. I don't understand why that's a controversial observation. Like, I just see it's getting aggregated now. But, like, we are a society that treats big people badly, and we treat them with greater skepticism. What is so wild about that? Are you being are you being attacked for it? I don't know if – I don't even understand why anybody would give that a second thought, whether I'm being attacked or not. Though I did have somebody in my mention say I was dumb for it. And I'm like, what world do you live in? Yeah, I mean, the the idea that people aren't treated differently based on their weight is just a – I, the, I, I'm not sure in the, as far as the, you know, the, no pun intended, the pie of blame for McCarthy, how much we would ascribe to that. But the idea that it's a controversial opinion to say that the better looking or more in shape you are, the bigger benefit of the doubt you get is like, I think, just taken as a fundamental truth of life, maybe like almost cross culture and generation. Yeah, I don't. I did too. I had somebody ask me about like how this relates to Andy Reid, and I'm like, well, you better, might want to go grow you a mustache. I do think that that kind of mitigates some of the effects if you got a mustache. People, people now, all, people, people now look at it as a larger aesthetic as opposed now to a character flaw. Listen, now, now you've got me tilted because I don't want to get aggregated, but you are referencing one of my longest standing opinions. That is, God, dog it. That is, if you are going to be a big guy, the best chance you have at still being considered like really good looking is if you're black or Italian. That like there's a lot of like kind of like iconic in the pop culture, black and Italian, really big guys. So you can kind of go for that aesthetic better than like an Irish guy could. And so, again, that might – do you understand what I'm saying almost? Like yeah. there are some oh, of no. our most famous and beloved Italian-Americans usually portrayed unfairly in mafia movies but still yes. are big fellas. And some of our most famous and beloved, you know, kind of black uh, – not historical figures necessarily, but figures in pop culture were bigger men. And so I feel like you can pull off the cool better as those guys than like you know, almost any other race. I feel I do feel that way. I do I have to say this. I give you credit for this because when I think of um, 
Mormon Andy Reid, the first thing I think about is blacks and Italians. That is the that is the quick transition that I make when I think about Andy Reid. But no, I'm sorry. I looked down and I was just shocked. Like when I said it, Eisen acted like I had just hit the third rail. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Like I thought this was such an obvious thing that our society does not treat these people well and holds them to a different standard. And they was acting like I was the one who's wrong. And then it was some dude in the room who ain't that small. And they was acting like he was acting like I was talking about him oh okay well that's, and by the way he's a lot smaller than mike mccarthy <laughs> just so you know like they, the, the the hit dog i don't know if the hit dog was hollering the hit dog was hungry i don't know what it was but the hit dog was over there hoo, 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 just out here making noise and i'm like dog my bad i was trying to stick up for y'all but anyway uh we we do have the nick Wright bowl in buffalo it is the chiefs it is the Bills. Josh Allen gets the home game, the first road playoff game of Patrick Mahomes' career, which, again, is the wildest thing in the world that we've been this far, and this is the first time that he's ever had to wear a white jersey in a playoff game. Uh, neither you nor the I thought Buffalo thing would is, still be at it. The, real quick, the wilder thing is Patrick Mahomes in those home playoff games. It's not that he's 10-2 and two with the two losses being in overtime. It's that he has 31 touchdowns and three interceptions. In those in Patrick Mahomes postseason non-Super Bowl career, it's 31 touchdowns, three picks. Um, so here's the thing: I don't really care that this game's on the road. Ma, we have never seen Patrick Mahomes on the road. What we do know it is in the regular season, he's better in every single category on the road than at home. Winning percentage, completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdown interception, passer rating, he's better on the road than at home. Here's the other thing that I think matters. For the Kansas City Chiefs and the players on this roster, this is not one of the five biggest games they've played in the last three years. For every single person on the Bills other than Von Miller, it's the biggest game of their life. And you can I know some people will, and I'm curious where you stand on this, because I know Broussard and Wilds, Kind of put, or at least Brew did push back at me a bit, saying, "No, well, the AFC title game the Bills played four years ago against Kansas City was bigger." I actually don't think it was because they were that Bills team was such a decided underdog. The Chiefs were uh, the defending champs. That was the first time they had played. They were kind of ahead of schedule at that point. Yes, making the Super Bowl would have been amazing, but that. It wasn't the expectation. I think that this game right here, the Chiefs are viewed nationally by everyone but me as this wounded, flawed team that has massive holes on the roster. The Bills are viewed as this peaking team and that this is their moment and it's in their building. If they lose this game, you do start to ask yourself and I'll... Who made, oh, you know what? I'll give credit. It, Bill Simmons said it. And I was like, that's a good analogy. You do have to ask yourself, hold on a second. Are the Buffalo Bills Dominique Wilkins Hawks? Maybe. If they can't win this year, if they can't break through right now, then all of a sudden, are they this really fun team with this really exciting player that just keeps running into whether it's not always the the Celtics, but they kept running into someone where they could never get over the top. I think it's a real question. Well, they're also into year four of this run. 
And you don't keep football teams together very long. Like, if you look at what the Chiefs are now compared to what the Chiefs were four years ago, it's a completely different roster in a lot of ways. And I think that Buffalo has actually maintained a level of continuity with their guys that you can't really promise down the line. If for no other reason, that some of them dudes that were good four years ago are not going to continue to be good. Now, where I want to ask you a question about is, I don't know if I would say the Chiefs are wounded per se, but I do feel like they're out there throwing the ball to sweepstakes winners. And I don't know how far you go with the dudes that Mahomes is throwing the ball to. I know it's not the most novel observation in the world, but it feels to me that I feel like in some ways you see this as potentially being like the 2006 Colts, where maybe you look at the regular season record, records for the Colts and their stats and be like, oh, classic Peyton Manning year. But in the end, Bob Sanders was healthy for the first time like ever and got them through the playoffs on defense, right? Like that was what wound up happening for them to win that Super Bowl. Like, is that what you would envision for the Chiefs to make it happen? Well, I think there's two things. One is I think that people are slightly underselling uh, the progression and the season Rasheed Rice had. So Rasheed Rice is a rookie, but he's now at 1,100 yards for the season. 1,100 yards, nearly 10 touchdowns. You put up Rasheed Rice's season next to Stephon Diggs, you're not going to know which is which. So that is – now I understand one's a rookie, one's an all-pro. I get all that. But at the beginning of the year – People were saying the Chiefs just need one receiver to step up. Well, one did. Now, Kelsey has obviously, I think, been banged up all year, is showing his age. People forget he's the same age as Gronk, and Gronk's retired twice. So Kelsey is not the guaranteed buck 15 in a touchdown in the playoffs that he had been in years past. But the difference is, and this is what has been so frustrating to me about how the Chiefs are being discussed, is... The Chiefs won that Dolphins game by 19 points. I feel like people would have been more impressed if they won by seven, but it was 35 to 28. People want the Chiefs to play and look a certain way. Instead, they're like, well, we have the number two scoring defense, the number two yardage defense. We don't have a good defense. We have in the argument for the best defense in the NFL. We are allowed to lean on that. And the formula of great defense, heroic quarterback, excellent coach has been the formula for like 75% of Super Bowl champions. And so I don't, the the Chiefs have allowed in the last two years, Bomani, 30 points once, 30 points one time, zero times this year, it was the damn Super Bowl. And so they, the Chiefs are undefeated this year when they score 21. They are. They have one loss, loss all year when they don't lose the turnover battle. It was week one, 21-20, when the turnover was a pick six going the other way. And so I just, I think Kansas City is better than Buffalo. And I think in that first matchup, Kansas City was missing its key players and Buffalo was coming off a bye. In this matchup, Buffalo's missing key defensive players, and Kansas City has two extra days of rest. I think Kansas City is the better team, and I also think that if this game early, if Kansas City gets out 7-0, man, it can get tight in Orchard Park, and you can feel it from those fans, and that's where the home game can work against you, where you feel the nervous energy of the crowd of, oh my God. This is this is gonna happen to us. So I think that I, I think the extra days of rest is 
Yeah, I think the extra days of rest is more important than people to give any credit for. Like, I think it helps Buffalo to sit in like a Saturday game and that they're getting the late game on Sunday. But that's not that's not a small thing um, in this game. And I ask a question for down the road. If Buffalo loses this game, I don't feel like I've seen it discussed very much. I think you and I might agree on this. But if they lose this game, they got to get a new coach too, right? So I don't think they will. But that's so that's been Broussard's big point is that he thinks McDermott is kind of holding the team back. Did and you read the uh the did you read the Tyler Dunn yes, series Tyson, on him? Yeah, it I was did. damning. It was the, the, what's wild is since that dropped, they've been undefeated. It yes. did feel like you know, and so since that dropped, they've been undefeated. And there listen, there are inflection points in the season. The that dropped right before that Chiefs Bills game. And if the Bills lose that game, thanks to one of the coolest plays in NFL history, not being called back and fall to six and seven, you know, everything's different about the year. I don't think they end up still, you know what I mean? Winning the five straight, they didn't making the playoffs. The Chiefs obviously end up being the two seed. There's a lot of butterfly effect stuff there, but they won that game and they haven't lost since then. So that kind of was gone by the wayside. This is why I... I said, and Bills fans, I understand they they hate me. Whatever, I you think before they hate the you? Steelers game. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but before the Steelers game, I said the best thing for Buffalo would been to lose to the Steelers because I don't think they're going to beat the Chiefs. I think their season is ending on Sunday, and if they had lost the Steelers, I do think they might have fired the coach. And then maybe, by the way, maybe that's the Belichick landing spot. But now I think they're going to run it back again. And because it's like we won six in a row, you know, we we won a playoff game. Do we want to change things? And so, yeah, I, I think it would at least be worth a discussion. Yeah. Now, we haven't talked about um, the game that I think I would, if I had to guess, I guess San Francisco Green Bay, I haven't looked at it, probably has the widest spread. But then I would assume number two is the Ravens and the Texans. And I think that most of us believe that the Ravens are going to win this. But, buddy, let me tell you. I would hate to be Lamar Jackson if for whatever reason they did not win this game. I don't care if they lost the game 60 to 59. I would hate to be him because it's stacking up like a full on no excuses year. And if you take out those weird old losses they had early in the year, this team actually came a lot closer to being something around undefeated than I think we think about. This team has every check mark of an all time great team. They have a great defense, they have the MVP at quarterback, their margin of victory was unbelievable their three losses they had leads in the fourth quarter and all three to your point so all of that's correct so here's the here's the concern Bo if Baltimore loses and Lamar plays poorly I don't and I don't think this is unfair I don't think you can consider him one of the best quarterbacks in football anymore I think that if you the he doesn't have to win the Super Bowl, he doesn't even necessarily have to make the Super Bowl. He needs one good playoff game and 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 a conference championship appearance. And this is where the great season can work against you. Dak being as good as he was in the regular season and then having that playoff game, that makes the regular season work against him. Cuz it's like, "Oh, it really was the moment and all of it." Lamar cannot afford a bad playoff game and a loss. He just can't, in my opinion. Like, and especially because if if that happens, 
then it's like, okay, just in the AFC, this kid who just beat you, CJ Stroud, I now believe in him more than you. Sorry. Like the, the, the guys will have done it twice in a week. What you haven't been able to do in the, in the whole course of your career. I'm not rooting for that outcome, but I also don't think it's off the board. And I do think the buy plus the week off before add some variance to what Baltimore is going to look like when we see them play. But I think it adds some variance, but I also think that if anybody needed to spend a week in the cold tub slathering icy hot on their battered bodies, Baltimore was way up on that list. Like they should be physically as, as ready to go as they have been in who knows how long. Uh, I, I agree with that. I'm also though very excited to see how CJ looks because that guy's a stud. That guy is, an, and I didn't see this coming out of Ohio State. You know, I was on the record. I would take Anthony Richardson, number one. I said I'd take CJ before Bryce Young because Bryce Young's too small, obviously. But uh, I didn't think so. I thought Bryce Young was the old high floor, low ceiling guy. Like, okay, he's not going to be a bust. He's going to be fine. I never saw this come. He's been unbelievable. How about this? Lead the NFL in yards per game and touchdown interception ratio. Montana in 89. Brady in 07, C.J. Stroud this year. Not talking rookies, talking about ever quarterbacks. So it is what he's done this year. And then to have that playoff game on top of it, it's really unbelievable. So I thought that he was the most reasonable guy to take at number one in this draft. And I'll be honest, I only watched him play like three games. But two of them were the Rose Bowl against Utah, where I think Jackson Smith and Jigba had like 850 yards in that game. But I was like, oh, the young fella's got a little something going. And then a game against Georgia. And what was so wild about Stroud, where I was just like, man, we so stupid. He was the first quarterback I'd ever heard of, where they were like, the problem is he don't run enough. Right, That's when I was just like, oh, man, we just looking for any reason to take him down. All right, cool. I thought he was the most reasonable guy to take, number one. I would have taken Anthony Richardson because I think the ceiling of what Anthony Richardson can be is simply so much higher than everybody else on earth, right? Like, it's just impossible for me not to get enraptured by it. But I saw it. Now, you and I talked about this at one point. You asked me, it's like, did you see it with Stroud? And I was like... I thought, I thought he would be good. I thought I would take him over Bryce Young. I ain't going to lie and say that I thought that he could carry those bums to where they are. Because remember, when they made that trade to get Will Anderson, the reason that we thought that trade was bad is because we were operating on the assumption that the Texans would have a top two or three pick. Instead, Correct. they are I one of the eight teams left standing. The rights to Caleb. And I, and I, listen, I'm on the, there's a lot of tape of me saying how terrible that trade was and how crazy it was that they let the future one be theirs instead of Cleveland's because they have Cleveland's one next year. And now Cleveland's is a better pick than theirs. Like that ended up being the, I'm sure it's what Arizona wanted. Like, no, we want yours, not Cleveland's. That ended up being better for Houston because Houston's going to be picking like 25 and Cleveland's going to be picking like 20. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. No, this, dra- this draft is so wild on how trades will have affected things because the Cardinals, quietly, better than I thought they would be, right? Like, I did not think that they would be as good as they turned out to be, but still had a good and terrible record. So they'll have their pick. The Bears, better than I thought they would be, but it's all good. They got the number one overall pick because Bryce Young is worse than any of us thought that he could be, and you and I both were skeptics, but none of us thought that it was going to go like this. None of us did. But Stroud, oh my God, I can't believe this. Can I ask you one thing before I go yeah. about the Bears situation? Is there an argument to be made that you draft Caleb and have him sit one year? Yes. That you draft Caleb, 
play Justin, and the reason for this is multifold. One is if Justin plays really well, he increases his trade value, right? Right now you get probably a second round pick for him. The other is you get another look at Eberflus, who you decided to bring back, which is to me really odd. And if Eberflus struggles at all, then you go fresh with Caleb with his own head coach. You And you don't immediately throw kind of Caleb to the wolves because now that we have seen, obviously CJ went in immediately and was great, but we saw that sitting helped, you know, clearly helped Jordan. I don't know what Patrick was going to be, but you can't say sitting hurt Patrick Mahomes. I think that, I think you have to take Caleb number one. I think you absolutely have to. I think there's an argument that you can keep Justin Fields as well and let Caleb sit for a moment and kind of absorb things. I do think there's an argument for that. I think there's a great idea, and I make two points on that. One, when I was a kid, hell, when I was an adult, the idea of letting your back, your quarterback sit for a year was not crazy talk. Like Carson Palmer sat for a full year behind John Kittner coming off the Heisman Trophy, and people think that Carson Palmer is basically the quarterback that God created in terms of – and that was at a time where running a pro-style offense was a thing, and he had run like five of them, but he had done it. Um, number two, and I see no evidence that playing early helps. No, like if you can do it, like C.J. Stroud can clearly do it, so you go ahead and do it. But the hell, we got to see what we got. We got to get him out there. Nobody can show me any verifiable proof. I've seen nothing quantitative or qualitative to indicate that you're guaranteed to be better off by throwing your guy out there early, right? It seems like something you do just to satisfy the fans because your team is already sorry. And so you go ahead and you do that. But I think maturity is probably the most important thing a quarterback needs to have. Maturity and confidence, right? The ability to see it make the throw right away. Nothing matters more than that. Every quarterback you see, the Justin Fields problem is, it's that half ticket takes before he gets it off. Cam Newton was so incredible because he had that half tick too, but he was just so goddamn good that he could figure out how to make it happen. So no, I am with you there that why not do that? I don't see anything that you truly have to lose because I mean- I don't see a reason, like I, there's just an, if if what you're going to get is the 40th pick of the draft from Atlanta for Justin Fields, there's an argument Run it back one more year. See if all of a sudden he, a team wants to give you a first-round pick and then something for him and give Caleb time. Like, there is an argument for that. There is, although they'd have to deal with Caleb, Caleb's daddy. Like, I, it would be very interesting to see how Caleb's daddy would handle it if he was at, on the oak behind Justin Fields, boy. It'd be a whole lot of black-on-black crime going on on message boards and interviews, back channels, everything else, boy. But look, that is Nick Wright. Check him out. Fox Sports 1, first things first, 3 o'clock Eastern, the What's Right podcast. Both of them are incredible. You are doing incredible work, man. I, I would say I was proud of you if you didn't sound so damn patronizing. Love you, Bo. Um, you're welcome to come over to the house for any of the games this weekend, uh, including Chiefs-Bills. But if Chiefs-Bills, I mean, let's let's call that a tentative invite for all the other ones you're invited. I'll talk to how you How about this? Bro. First half. I get the first half. I could come over okay, for the first half good. and then we'll play and we'll see how there. it's going. But if it's going great, I won't let you leave. All right, I'll talk to you later. See you. <laughs> Take it easy, man. All right, we're coming up to the end. Sean, what's going on? You are in a room directly across from me. What are your picks for the prize picks? Damian Lillard, 24 points, taking more. Clint Capella, 10 and a half uh, rebounds and assists more. Anthony Edwards, 37 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. Fred Van V, eight and a half assists. That's what I got for prize picks, Bo. Damian Lillard, Clint Capella, Anthony Edwards, Fred Van Vliet, who, for those of you who go back with me, remember, Fred Van Vliet, 
easily confused with Ron Baker. Remember that time when we all thought that Fred Van Vliet was Rob Baker and Rob Baker was Fred Van Vliet because Rob Baker looked a hell of a lot more like a Van Vliet and Van Vliet looked a hell of a lot more like a Ron? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time, a Wave Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. That's Sean, you handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, follow The Right Time. Rate us, review us, subscribe, like. Uh, Give us five stars. You only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe. You are a hater, and I will talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy.